rather than guess what you might be thinking, let me tell you, maybe confess to you, what I've thought when I heard those words preached in the past. I grew up in a Christian family, grew up in the church, probably heard 50 sermons on this passage. One of the things I have thought in the past is, is guilt. Here's a sermon where at the end, the pastor is going to make us give more money to missions. I'm not going to ask you to give more money to missions today. And the reason is God has so much more he wants from you and me. Maybe I learned this at the uh, around the dinner table in my family. I'm one of six children, and I can remember many times when I was six or seven years old uh, when at the end of dinner there's still vegetables on my plate. And my mom would say, say something like, eat your vegetables. There are children in Africa who are starving. And I always try to figure out how that vegetable on the plate had anything to do with, and then my mind, here's how my mind works, I'll confess this, I began thinking, what if we got all the broccoli and the spinach and the carrots and shipped them all to Africa so those children would have something to eat and then I wouldn't have to eat anything. Another thing I have thought when this passage comes to mind is, is a kind of obligation. I know what Jesus is saying, He's saying that I need to share my faith with others. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I never really get around to doing it. I remember once I heard a missionary speak, again as a young child, and I can't remember where that person was from. It was like Papua New Guinea or someplace in South America. It was a primitive tribe. And I said in the car way home, I hope I never go to Papua New Guinea. And my mom, it's always my mom now that I think of it, says, never say you don't want to go somewhere because that's where God's going to send you. And so what did I do with that with my eight-year-old mind? I started telling God, I never want to go to Hawaii. <laughs> you don't kind of trick him. You know, it doesn't work. I'm in Florida in August. And I'll serve a church in Buffalo in January or February. That's how it works. But I think really a lot of what I felt, and maybe you feel too, is a certain kind of fear. Because the, well, I know what the words mean. I don't know how to do it. And I'm afraid of what people might think. I'm afraid of doing it wrong. I'm afraid of fear. But then there's a fourth thing that I have thought, and maybe you've thought it too. That when you hear the words, go, make disciples, you say, with a certain kind of indifference in your heart, that doesn't apply to me. That's why we hire a pastor. That's why we give to missions. Indifference. Well, whether you see yourself in one or more of those things, 
let me tell you what I've come to realize about myself. That when I think those things, I see how utterly selfish I am. And how completely I have missed the point of Jesus' words. And so I want to challenge myself and you today as we look at these words to maybe hear afresh, what is Jesus saying to me personally? What is he saying to our church, particularly in this moment of time? And so as we go to the passage, we, before these words are spoken by Jesus, let me, just let me remind you that Jesus has died he was raised, he appears to the two Marys. We know this earlier in the chapter of 28. And, and the, 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 the women go to the grave, that earthquake happens, the, the, the guards are like dead, and the angel sits on the stone and speaks to the women and says, don't be afraid. The one who was crucified is alive. And he's going before you. Go back and tell the disciples, I'll meet them in Galilee. And so the angel gives the rendezvous point for the disciples. And in no doubt, it's the women and the, and the, and the 12 disciples, 11 disciples, and then, and then others that are gathered. And they're going to Galilee to meet Jesus. And, and when they see him, some fall on their face and worship him. But the word says, I love this because it's so honest. Some doubted. Is that really Jesus? They hesitated. Man, if there's a word that describes my lack of reaching out to people is hesitation. That's where the disciples were at. So what does Jesus say? Well, he looks at the worshipers and the doubters and says, go make disciples. These are the last words of Jesus. That's why we call it the Great Commission. These are Jesus' words for, the fo for his followers then and for every follower since, including you and me today. Go make disciples. We can highlight the passage or review the passage just looking at the four alls. First, Jesus says, all authority has been given unto me. All authority. Remember earlier, before Jesus' ministry even started, he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And what was the final temptation of Satan? If you bow down to me, I'll give you all authority over this world. Under Satan. Jesus rejected that. And he lived a life and died a death so that God could raise him from the death and bestow upon him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow. Every tongue confess, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord over your circumstances. Jesus is Lord over your marriage. Jesus is Lord over your separation. Jesus is Lord over your school, your business, your neighborhood, everything. He's Lord. 
And Jesus wants us to know that, that as we reach out with the gospel, as we be disciple makers, we do so because Jesus has defeated the powers. Nothing can stand against us. Not death, not illness, not anything, because Jesus has paid the price and won the victory. That's the gospel. Go make disciples to all nations. You remember earlier, Jesus sent out the 70, said, go to the Jews only, go to the house of Israel. And it was a kind of a trial, a training for the disciples to bring the gospel, to tell people the good news of Jesus. The, the, the world's one true Messiah has come. We've been waiting for him and he's here and his name is Jesus. Now Jesus says, no, not just the Jews, go everywhere. Go into every town, every village, every language, every culture and tell them that the Messiah has come, that there's good news, that Jesus changes everything. Jesus is everywhere in the world. God is at work right now redeeming his world. And he's at work right now in your home, in your neighborhood, in this city. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all my commands. Everything I said to you, Jesus is saying to these disciples, which in what we now call Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, remember all those things I said, and God will help you remember them through the Holy Spirit, about blessed are the poor, about how we're to treat one another. You remember it was said this, but I say this. All of those commands, all of what it means to know and to love God, and all of them summarized in this single command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Teach people about what that means, Jesus says. And then he ends with a promise. And behold, I am with you always, every day, all your days. Jesus is present with you. That is his promise to you, to me, and to all who follow him. Do you see, can you begin to grasp the depth and the power of these words and, and I love the way Jesus, the beginning and the end, kind of balance what we've been talking about these last four or five weeks. The great confession. All authority. Jesus is saying, there's a new reality now, friends. There's a new way of seeing and being in the world because of his death, his resurrection. There's an, a power there's an authority that we have access to that God will fill us with his spirit and be, help us be the witnesses. There's a new reality. Jesus is Lord. And then at the end, and remember, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. My presence goes with you. God's presence goes with you. Just like he did 
with Israel, but far much more because he's not located in an ark. He's in your heart. The crucified one is in us, informing us by his spirit, healing us, prompting us. In other words, we have a new identity because Jesus is Lord. I have a new identity. I'm a child of God. I'm a friend of Jesus. I'm loved with an everlasting love. I have a new identity. I'm a new creation being. The old is past, the new has come. There's something that's possible now that wasn't possible before. Do you see it? The great confession, Jesus is Lord. The great commandment, we are loved and we can love God and love our neighbor. And in between those two comes the new activity. Go, make disciples. Share the good news. When people receive the gospel, baptize them and do it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because that's the new reality that exists in our world. And that's the future. That's our eternity. Start practicing eternity now and teach them a new way of life. You see, the great confession and the great commandment make the great commission possible. So what does it mean? God is inviting you and me to join him in his reconciling mission in this world. And he has placed you and me in your homes and in this place and in this city because he has called you to be his witness. Every follower of Jesus is commanded to go make disciples. And the primary role of the church is to mobilize and equip Christ followers to go. Here's the hard word. What's our plan for discipleship? What's Pathways' plan for discipleship? For the past 25 years, I think our plan for discipleship is to hire a good Bible teacher and get people to come to church. That our discipleship plan is to hire pastors and admin people to create programs and events and get people to come to church. In other words, our plan is come here, not go there. And there is something fundamentally wrong with that. Can you receive that? Man, I, I am aching in my heart as to how to tell you, how to relate to you what I believe God would want you to hear, friends. Pathway Church is all about what and how. 
but we don't know why we're doing it. Oh, we know why, we all agree, but we don't have the Great Commission as our focus. And it hasn't been our focus. We've been a learning church. God bless learning. But we need to be a transforming church. Is your character any different today from listening to 12 years of sermons than it was 12 years ago? I hope it is. But that's not how character's formed. Character's formed by intersecting with lives and talking with unbelievers and sharing your faith and saying, like we heard today, I have trouble trusting Jesus, but when I sing a song, I can trust Jesus. That's the gospel at work. And you can't get that by knowing what the Greek word is, friends. Do you get this? Do you receive this? We've got to stop hiring a pastor and putting all our eggs in that basket so that when we don't like the pastor anymore, he goes, half of our congregation leaves. That's not the gospel. That's not what it means to be the church. I've been reading a book, and it's been challenging my socks off. Well, not quite, but it's called The Gospel Saturation. What I'm about to tell you comes from this. It's not mine, but it, 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 it just resonates with my heart in my own life. Because this is a word for me, friends, as well as it's for you. But I, I just want to share a couple things about it. Because in the book, it makes a great, a great, a great analogy. And it, it says... The, opera, the, the, the chief way that evangelicals go about discipleship is to create an app for it, okay? You all have computers? You know, there's an app for everything, right? You can get an app for worship, an app for this, an app for that, an app for discipleship. You can get an app for everything. And there's a lot of good apps out there. I'm not disparaging the things we do, the events we do, the teaching we do. All of it is good. It's just not enough. And we've got to stop looking for the latest app. That's the first lesson, but then the second lesson is even harder. What if we have the wrong operating system? Because app only works on certain operating systems. What is the functional operating system of most evangelical churches? I'll tell you what it is. Church growth. Get more people to come to church. There's nothing wrong with trying to invite people to church. There's nothing wrong with wanting to attract people and tell people the gospel, but it's, it's fundamentally flawed because it unintentionally reinforces wrong thinking. And then we measure the wrong things. How do we attract people? What kind of worship? What kind of teaching? What kind of this or that program would attract more people? And then how many are coming? Attraction, attendance. And inevitably, we don't say this out loud, but we don't like it if other churches are doing better. We're in competition with the church down the street. In other words, it's all about addition. Church growth, church growth. Please hear this. I think we are getting exactly what our system was designed for. Let 
We are a pastor program-centered church in decline. Do you know this church has been declining slowly for the past five years? Not the last two years, the past five years. In fact, for the past 12 years, there has been zero growth. Some years up, some years down. Worse than that, I think we're producing consumers, religious, spiritual consumers, where we spend our days complaining about the music being too loud or the sermon not being just right or whether we're teaching our youth this or that. And all of those concerns are valid, but it royally misses the point. Friends, this is not who we're called to be. This is not what Jesus said. He didn't say, go get a bunch of people together and hear good sermons. What if our mission was the Great Commission? What if we had in our mind, you and me and all of us together, this one goal? That every man, woman, and child in our city, in our region, however, what a five-mile radius of this church, what if every man, woman, and child had multiple opportunities to hear the good news of Jesus in a way that they could receive it and that was practical to their life? What if we did that? What if that was our goal? Regardless of whether they come to church or not. It'd be great if they came to church, but that's not our goal. That's not how we're going to measure it. We're going to measure and we're going to have to work with others to do this. How do we bring the gospel to every man, woman, and child who's lost now and doesn't have hope, who is confused about this world, and he looks at our government, looks at their bank account, looks at their world and says, I don't know what to do. And you and I, we have an answer for that. We have hope. We have the power of Jesus. All authority has been given unto us, and we're loved, and we can love them. Man, what else do you need? You see all those, the four things I mentioned before, the guilt and the, how petty is that, Jim? That's not the gospel. That's not the glory we've been called to. Every follower of Jesus is an ambassador for Jesus. Let me read you these words from Paul in Corinthians chapter 5. Paul is saying, for the love of Christ controls us. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we were controlled by the love of Christ? For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ that way. We used to think of Jesus that way, even Jesus that way. But we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he and she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the old, the new has come and all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. As a Jesus follower, God is saying, I'm giving you the authority. I'm trusting you. I am entrusting in you this precious gospel to live, to represent, to make a visible witness of who Jesus is. Therefore, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ. Every one of us is an ambassador. If you know Jesus, you're an ambassador. God is making his appeal through us, and we implore you, Paul says, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. What if our primary mission was to mobilize people to learn more about Jesus in order that we'd be transformed to be more like Jesus in order that we might lead others to Jesus? Friends, our focus has been on number one. We're learning church, but we, we can't just be a learning church. Learning is good. Don't get me wrong. Don't hear me wrong. Sermons are good. You do need a good preaching. The problem is, here's the problem. If preaching is all you need, I guarantee you there are a thousand places online right now that it will give you a better sermon than you're hearing here. And if that's all you need, you don't need church. But that's not the point, see? The point is, God wants to transform us. We're new creation people. God wants to change our operating system to move us, instead of attracting people, to mobilize people, equip people. Instead of measuring attendance, measure and equip transformation, change character. Instead of competing with the churches around them, how about we open up a conversation is how can all of us together who follow Jesus reach Vero Beach for Christ? And go from addition to multiplication. So let me just work this out in one example. I could give many. Imagine if all the ministries of this church were to make 100 disciples a year. 100 people who come to faith are baptized and are taught how to share their faith. That would be pretty good, wouldn't it? I mean, we, we heard last week or a few weeks ago that we've had 30 people baptized so far this year. On that track, we might have 50. How about we double that? That's addition, friends. Now imagine this. That in the next 12 months, you... A single person alone led one person to Jesus, helped them into baptism, and taught them that they need to go and make a disciple like they were made. After the first year, there would be one new disciple and two of you together. After the second year, there'd be four disciples. After the third year, there'd be 16 disciples. After the fourth year, there'd be 256 disciples. And after the five year, we're going to have 500 in the other plan. We're going to have 
55,536 disciples. That's multiplication. Now, I, 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 look, I'm not playing a numbers game. I'm not imagining that that would happen, but do you see the difference? We can get 100 new people to come to church and hear the, the message, and that's a good thing. But we've got 300 or 400 people right here that if you went out, imagine what could happen. God wants to expand his kingdom through you. Whoever he leads here to be pastor. You're going to need a pastor, sure. All that's true. But friends, if that's your hope, if you're saying, why, why do we have to keep talking about this stuff? Let's just get the next pastor. That's part of the problem, see? So what are we going to do? And I'll end with this. We're going to be talking and begin exploring a new operating system here. I don't know what it's going to look like. It's not mine to tell you. But I want to ask some questions and have you give input into it because I think God is leading us to fundamental change here. Fundamental change. We need a new operating system. But here's how I want to end it today. That starts right here. It starts with brokenness. To give up the pride that somehow we're the best church in town. Because you know what? You're not. And you're not the biggest church in town either. We're just people who God wants to use and can use if we lay down our life and seek his face and become a people broken for Jesus so that others see Jesus and say, I want that. Let's pray. Oh, Father, oh, just help us. I confess to you that I don't know what to do in my own life, let alone help these dear friends. But I know this because your son has told us that you have given us everything we need. All authority in heaven has been given unto your son and he's given it now to us to carry the message of the gospel in a way where our hearts are on fire. Lord, just change us. If we need to be broken, break us. If we need to be encouraged, Lord, encourage us. Whatever we need by your spirit, would you provide that? Use the power of your son through the empowering presence of your spirit to change the way we think, the way we feel and what we do so that as we learn more about Jesus we become more like Jesus in order to lead more people to Jesus
just respond to the Spirit of God.
Just tell him, my heart is, tell it to him, my heart is yours, take it all. My heart is yours, my heart. 